I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, Please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group, We Are Jobs podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Sexton, CEO, and I am joined today uh, by a guest I've known for quite some time now in in my career, and uh, we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about what he does uh, with uh, economic development and his role now. We're going to talk about the flooding that everyone has heard about in eastern Kentucky, and then we're going to wrap it all up and talk about the fact that this gentleman used to play football in the SEC. We're getting close to college football season, so I know everybody wants to hear some more about that. Uh, my guest today is Bob Shirtliff, External Affairs with AEP Kentucky Power. Thanks for being with me, Bob. Great to be here, Chuck. Glad to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you, buddy. It's been kind of a crazy few weeks, uh, a couple weeks, especially uh, in eastern Kentucky. Of course, a lot of people know that you know I still live in eastern Kentucky for now. Uh, Bob has been probably not getting much sleep lately, but uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Why don't you give a little background on on your role with Kentucky Power? My role uh, today is primarily with external affairs and economic development. I spent uh, this, I'm working on my 37th year, I have a lot of operational background, but I shifted over to economic development, external affairs a few years ago because uh, I enjoy it. I see the need of, of diversifying the economy um, with the downturn of the coal industry and trying to look toward the future and, and make this a place, a, a destination place for companies and trying to prepare for that. Uh, as in some ways, we're, we're, uh, we've got some preparation started and have had for some time, but other ways we need to continue to adapt and change and look to what's coming and the pandemic has, has taught us even more of that. So um, right now it's primarily looking at how to change the future of Eastern Kentucky. You know, one of the things I didn't mention in introducing you is that you're also a city commissioner. We have a lot of folks that listen who are elected officials as well. Of course, we consult with communities across the U.S. What do you see as the difference in your role as, a, as an elected official <laughs> and your role <laughs> with uh, Kentucky Power doing economic development? 
I don't know that it's a lot different. I mean, elected officials would continue to try to bring the message of preparation. And some of these projects take several years to mature, but you have to be prepared. And a lot of elected officials may not understand that they're being evaluated all the time. And you need to make sure that you are getting in that box to be evaluated of how you're marketing your property. Um, what's ready on your property, what's not. Do gap analysis, figure out where your shortcomings are and fix those. But it's, it's the same message and, and getting it out when we've tried to do it from high school all the way through, uh, you know, the everyday person out here on the street. But a lot of elected officials don't understand that it's more to it than just a uh, site visit and maybe a golf game somewhere that used to happen. You don't see golf games anymore and the accelerated process um, that happens today, as you know, Chuck, I mean, used to, this was a long, a little bit longer process of going through it, but now they want to uh, request for information and turn them around and days weeks if you're lucky now used to it was you had three or four weeks well we see that and uh you know we've got a couple of projects right now that are on fast timelines uh, but then again you know even when a timeline starts out fast with a project just depends on their customers and their market if you know if they have contracts that that get delayed a few months then you know extends that site selection a little bit but what would you say helps inform you the most as um a city commissioner with your role? I mean, how has it helped change your role maybe as an elected official having experienced economic development at the power company? Just understanding the process and getting the information. I mean, several years ago, as you know, we started looking at the uh, parks that we have in Eastern Kentucky and doing gap analysis and figuring out where they are. We changed some and turned, you know, turned some around from the direction that we're headed. We've got others that have made great strides and, and closed some of those gaps. And that message has to continue that you have to have it ready. You have to be prepped when that opportunity comes because as you know, when they look at it and say, how much water do you have? How much power do you have? How much is the fiber there? you got to have the plan in place at a minimum and say a timeline, it will be here at this time. But ideally you want that product already on the property line to where you can develop it and meet the standards that they want and the timeline they want. Not a lot of elected officials have your knowledge of economic development. And one of the things that we do obviously is board trainings uh, and elected official trainings that help. We, we did that on behalf of Kentucky Power not too long ago. Uh, in two locations, Ashland and Pikeville. And Pikeville is where you are a city commissioner. Now, Pikeville is known as a city that's been progressive and forward-looking and constantly trying to uh, invest in itself. You know, one of the coolest stories I've ever heard is uh, former Mayor Hambly, uh, if I'm right, decided to take down half a mountain and fill in a river and reroute the railroad and the river both out of downtown to give more developable property to prevent flooding uh, and to uh, you know, put that four lane uh, through, the, through the community. Um, 
you couldn't do that today, probably. <laughs> From it was, the court, certainly was, probably wouldn't allow it. <laughs> it was amazing for him to be able to accomplish it in that time frame, and it, and it also from the more I learned about it, he had an economic development mindset because, as you said, there was a, a couple of coal docks where they were loading trains along that area going through town. Plus, you had the trains running through town on that railway, and you had dust, and he wanted to get that out of the city so that you would have more more economic development in town and, and, and have it prosper. But also the flooding was a big issue uh, as we've run into again today and even in the past few weeks. So to be able to move all those assets uh, to get federal and state on board, the funding that was, that was needed for it, it was an unbelievable accomplishment and a, and a very forward looking uh, idea at the time. Well, he, he dreamt big and it's paid dividends for the community. So, you know, I think a lesson there for our listeners, especially elected officials is, you know, even if it sounds like a crazy idea that could never happen, just remember a really small town moved an entire mountain in order to make more developable property in their community. So. And it did. And we've got the school of optometry now, uh, they're located one of the larger ones in the country the school of osteopathic medicine. You know, it's, it's allowed those things to come in that, wouldn't have been there without without those that cut being taken place yeah and a, and a huge expo center there there are Absolutely. concerts there I all mean, the time we got concerts we had an event last night and and you got uh, the hospitals one of the largest and in, in the region it's one of the only trauma two centers in, you know east of lexington so that's allowed the city to grow and we've got to diversify the whole region and continue to push that regional concept rather than isolated areas well we touched on flooding a little bit and i want to make you know i have a lot of people around the country who've reached out to myself and to chad and to ivy about what's happened in eastern kentucky with these floods uh, i think it's a lot more devastating than people realize and you've because of you know your company and, and stuff you've been more on the front lines of, of this so could you describe a little bit of what you've seen and, and how it may be beyond what people have seen on on national news um the only way I can describe it, uh, it's an Eastern Kentucky hurricane. You've got the devastation of the winds, which were here accompanied by water. I mean, the for it was done by the force of the water. Plus you've got the flooding that took place. And I've seen these microbursts and flash floods that wipe uh, a hollow out before or a specific area but I've never seen it to this degree over 60 miles from Neon to Jackson and all of that, that waterway in between. I mean, one, one meteorologist I saw, there was 10.2 inches in Ola in a certain area there in the flood area. Um, and he, he equated it to like 22 inches of rainfall in the, full, in the, in the flat ground flatland and you saw in vegas i think here a few days ago there was an inch inch and a half of rain they were driving in the streets and water and you know 12 14 inches there's places here with 25 foot of water over top of the roads that Jeez. people have never seen and um the 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 sheer strength of the water I'm, i saw a car that was pushed through a drain tile that's how much force that uh uh, is behind this. I mean, imagine taking a mid-sized car and pushing it through a five-foot drain, steel drain. 
or a house that's been split in half by a tree as it moved down. So, and those are, you know, in many places. Yeah, you know, some of the pictures I've seen, uh, uh, we've, we've obviously donated supplies. We're donating to uh, several efforts uh, in the region and in St. Louis, because St. Louis had a pretty significant uh, issue at the same time. Um, but some of the pictures that I've seen, the washouts of culverts, the washouts of bridges that have occurred. Uh, I've Someone told me that Knott County alone had 100 culverts and bridges washed out in, in the county. So for one county to have that many is just kind of insane. Yeah, and, uh, and you've got, I don't know if that count includes private bridges or not, because a lot of these are county roads. But there's the private bridges that have been washed out. I mean, you've got bridges from... As you can imagine, from probably two or three grand to forty-five thousand dollars that people put in just to access their facility, their homes, or a cluster of homes that are, you know, private private drives. So that's 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 impactful of changing um, that's changing Eastern Kentucky. So it will take time. It'll take a long time to recover, hold it, you know, in a in a broad sense from this. Well, for people out there who are listening, one thing you said, are you said hollows, and and most people call them hollers, and <laughs> for people who don't know, have never driven in one, have seen one, it's a valley between two mountains, it can be tight in there, you have just enough room for a road, typically a stream that's pulling water out of the higher elevation, and then flat land, a lot of times on the opposite side of the stream, and so when, when Bob talks about private bridges, what you have is you have a roadway, then a stream, and then you have rows of houses on the opposite side of the stream from where the road is. So you have a private bridge that goes over that stream or creek that goes over to them all up the hollow. And, and so that's where, you know, all that rain came in, created essentially a wall of water that was outside of that stream and then pushed through uh, all the way down. Is that pretty much the way you would describe it? Yeah, and, and there's some of those, it's going to take some of them don't have the financial means to to replace those and as you said that valley <clears throat> in many places is not very wide uh in other places where it's got some width i mean you're i'm talking 300 feet 200 feet that's where all the water was coming through from those higher further on up the hollow so um there's a there's a mixture of both county, state, and private damage that's going to be taken care of, and and hopefully they can with FEMA they can they can help and other state agencies. Uh, our company, like yours, made a hundred thousand dollar donation to the foundations that are supporting these that are going directly to the people. So, and the outpouring of support when this has happened and it has it over the last two weeks has been incredible. But just like you know, in Western Kentucky that, that your family was impacted with, that's gotta be long lived in order to be effective. It can't be, you know, two or three new cycles and, and out because this isn't a short-term recovery. Yeah, it's certainly gonna be a long-term recovery. I've heard a lot of uh, the elected officials in the region talking about the things, the strategies that they have for trying to retain people, you know, maybe even building some housing uh, within the cities that weren't affected to help draw those people in who lost everything. Because there were a lot of, it's, it's amazing how many people lost absolutely everything. 
uh, from the flood, not just, I mean, and there were so many more who at least lost half their stuff or a portion of their stuff, their cars at least were gone, but you know, the flooding in their houses and the cleanup they have to do. Um, what would you say is the best place for people to go if they're looking to donate uh, funding? Through the Appalachian Foundation, uh, through the Red Cross, through the governor's uh, foundation that he set up, his giving that he set up, uh, there's there's several places and all that money is going back into those communities um, and it'll be monitored that way. So, like you said, it's it's there's people living with nothing right now and it's going to be a long term recovery. The Foundation for Appalachian Kentucky is a foundation that's been set up for a while now. Jerry Roll uh leads that effort they've got locations in several communities not just one but their main office is in hazard kentucky and uh you you know you can just type into google foundation for appalachian kentucky and, and if you go to their website they have a link where you can click to donate and and see about the floods uh there here in eastern kentucky well look i'm going to take a quick break uh with bob and then when we come back we're going to talk a little bit of ncaa scc football and uh his experience uh playing in that so we'll be right back I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other buildings and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com, book yourself a demo, and see if this can help your community have more success. And we're back. Next move group, we are jobs podcast with my guest Bob Shirtliff. And uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about Bob, what what Bob's doing today and, and the floods that we've experienced over here in eastern Kentucky. I want to switch gears here and get into football. Chad's going to be having his uh, college football preview podcast. He'll take over the podcast again in a few weeks to talk about the upcoming uh college football season. So I thought it'd be nice to have you on and talk a little bit about what you did back in the day. Uh, at the University of Kentucky playing in the SEC. So when wh who who was coaching when you played? We talked about this not so long on the podcast. We're trying to guess who your coach was. I was recruited and played one year for Frank Kersey. Uh, then I played the first year, three years, next three years with Coach Claiborne, who, uh, and that transition was is a part of, uh, I guess, who I am today to some degree. Why would you say that? Well, Coach Kersey, I think when I came in as a freshman, I was so grateful for him to give me the opportunity to play at, you know, my state school that, you know, was a dream since I was in third grade when I started playing. And, um, but he, I think he knew he was on his way out. So that first year, uh, there was two completely different coaching styles. 
Kersey coached and let his, his, his staff coach a lot. Kersey stayed back and more was a manager. Coach Claiborne was in every drill. He kicked extra points. He was in your face. He, but, but he changed the aspect of um, – he graduated 96% of his athletes, and you were there to get an education first. You were there for faith, your faith in, in God first, your education and your family, and then football. So he instilled those principles. So I got to see a micromanager that was very effective. And um, the, if you can imagine back in the 60s and 70s, Kersey had more of that style of, of their, their, their uh, position coaches were in your face, getting on you. I mean, you were cussing. It was everything. Claiborne didn't allow cussing on the field. So, you know, people, you had to change, and and I respect him for that. I mean, he made a stance. He wanted you to to get your education and play football as secondary and and build a team atmosphere. I mean, he always said, do the little things right, and the big things will take care of themselves. And he lived by that mantra as well. I think that's great when a coach is working working with the the football players or, or any sport. And they're working with the players to make sure that they have something beyond the sport because it's such a low percentage that end up professional anyway. It's good to have a, a coach that's coaching them in life and not just in, in the game. So if you think about the SEC, what would you say was your toughest uh, or, or maybe a story, a crazy story from being on the road in the SEC? What, 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 let me change that. What team did you hate playing the most when you went on the road? You did the hardest place to play, I don't know that they're in the SEC. I mean, everybody's rivals. You don't, I mean, you have to go into it. It's there. Everyone has got strength. Everyone's got athletes. But when you play at LSU, that was the most deafening stadium I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> because at that time, the crown, when you were on, if you're on the sidelines, the first two rows of fans couldn't see the field because they were lower so and the crown was probably six or seven feet above that bottom row of bleachers so it all the sound just you couldn't hear anything uh, it was deafening and then pre-game uh the funny story was we all go in and, and you drop your stuff off walk out on the field the quarterbacks are looking at that crown because it makes a difference on how you throw Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're throwing downhill to the sidelines. You're staying throwing flat down the center of the field. So they've got to get a feel of what's going on. But the tiger was out in the cage. And just like many cats, it was just laying there and uh, laid back, sleeping. And all of us, you know, 20 people, linemen, walking around trying to look at the tiger. And I mean, the, the paws on this thing are massive. They're bigger than my head. So... We're all playing and the trainer walks around to the back and all of a sudden that cat jumps and roars. And I know the back wheels of the trailer came off the ground because I saw it because he was lunging at whatever, whatever the trainer did. And you see all these college athletes running scared <laughs> because we knew we were eating, but <laughs> playing in the swamp. I mean, that's an experience. Uh, I played at Clemson and Georgia. I mean, they've all got their 
um, mystique. And it's, you know, you go in between the hedges, you know, it's going to be a, a war. I don't care what you're playing, but it's, it's that way week in and week out in the SEC. You played in some bowl games, didn't you? Yeah, I was fortunate. Uh, like I said, I got to see the whole gamut. We were my first year, we were three and eight. My second year, when Claiborne came in, we we're 0 10 and one. And my next year, we played, we ended up six, five and one after the bowl game in West Virginia and lost by five. My senior year, we played uh, Wisconsin in the Hall of Fame Bowl again and ended up nine and three in the top 20 in the country. So earlier in the year, we were ranked 16th in the country. Um, so I got to see it from the worst cases of interaction to you could do no wrong. And it, you really got to see players grow to believe they, you know, they got to the point where everybody, everyone believed they could win. Yeah. What, what were some of the um, most impressive players that you went up against while you were playing? <laughs> Reggie White. Uh, probably the biggest one that will be recognized by name in this day. Uh, I was fortunate because I played offense and I got to watch Herschel Walker and Bo Jackson uh, on the other side when our defense was out there. So those two athletes, I've never seen one like them since and probably never will. <laughs> and another one I'd be remiss that it's, at that time, or not in SEC, but Clemson was William, the refrigerator Perry. This cat was, you know, 5'11", six foot, weighed 340, 350, whatever you want to guess, because they wouldn't release his weight. He'd stand flat-footed and dunk a football on a goalpost. <laughs> I watched him pick our center up and set him down beside a quarterback at a five-step drop. <laughs> Just a big beast of a man. <laughs> Remarkable athlete, quick, super quick, and his brother was more of an athlete than he was, so – I mean, I got to see some of the, the premier athletes in, in the country uh, at the time. Willie Galt, the receivers. I mean, uh, uh, Chris Collinsworth at that time was, was just in the beginning of my career, the end of his. So, um, and there's many more. I mean, there's All-American defensive uh, from Alabama that I got an opportunity to play against my sophomore year. So I got to... I got I had the opportunity to play in nine games my sophomore year through that 0-10-1, and then I was able to start my junior and senior year. And we'll be right back. In today's Executive Search Spotlight, we are going to look at Winston County, Alabama. Yes, the Winston Industrial Development Authority, the Winston Advantage, is looking for a new economic development director. For those of you all not familiar with Winston County, Alabama, this is a beautiful area to live. Amazing opportunities for somebody that loves quality of life, loves the outdoors, hiking, trails, parks. They have a huge, massive lake for boating, fishing, etc. So this is a great opportunity if you love the outdoors. As far as winds, they have a lot of existing industry, mobile home manufacturing, etc. So there is some good opportunities here. If you would like to learn more, Go to our website, check out thenextmovegroup.com backslash Winston. We're accepting applications to August 26. So you've got a couple weeks left. Check it out. Hopefully you apply. I mean, everybody talks about the University of Alabama now, but when you were playing, were they as I got, storied? I, got to see the bear. I mean, yeah, you I got mean, to see the bear. Was... <laughs> 
so it's it has i mean it you had it they went through i guess what everybody does at some point after barry left and i mean what saban does now with that group and the process and teaching and the perfection that he demands and year in and year out is amazing uh and the focus that they get it and and the athletes today, they get so, I mean, we didn't have the media. I mean, you had media day and then you had you know, a few reporters after the game. And usually that was done with the coaches or maybe one, one back, but with all the media today, social media, they're so much better, more rounded. Uh, they get, have so much more interaction, but they also have, you know, a lot more things that could happen because of that social media. And they've got to be more yeah. careful. Distractions things that can get under their skin. They yep. have a bad play in one game and they just get roasted by, you know, a hundred thousand people. And, and, you know, they've got to not pay attention to that. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. that's something I worry about for, for young players. Yeah. That's one of the things I can remember Claiborne doing when an athlete or wide receiver or running back would celebrate going in the end zone. I could hear him say, act like you've been there before. He said, this is, this is not the first time. This needs to be common. <laughs> yeah. Walk, walk into the end zone, walk out of the end zone and be like, look, I, I do this all the time. It's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And you pancake somebody, you help them up. I mean, that's the person you want on the field. You don't know what the next size up because every team SEC is usually they've got two teams of players. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Do you keep still watch? Do you still keep up with football? Yeah, I mean, not as much as I do. I mean, I've transitioned at my age now. I enjoy going to the to Commonwealth and going to the Cayman's house and seeing the people that I uh, I graduated and played with and how they're doing and how they're developing. And but we still text. We still got groups. And but I do watch uh, quite a bit. I enjoy college football. Uh, I don't know what this NIL is going to do. Uh, it worries me some. Yeah. Why? What worries you about it? It's going to turn into a semi-pro league, and I mean the markets are going to drive it. And I played. We we were unique. I think we had six out of the six or seven out of the starting five from Kentucky on both sides of the ball. And you, I played for because I was from Kentucky. That's where I wanted to go. I had offers from other places, but now it's going to be purely about the money or it can be and you will see i think it'll hurt some other schools mm -hmm. uh, across the country I'm, I, and i'm not well versed in it i don't know what it's going to do to NAA and, and smaller division two schools that pulling some of those people but you know it's i like yeah and maybe it's where i'm getting older and old-fashioned <laughs> uh, you know i like i got a scholarship out of it uh, yeah, it was hard work. We, we had three day, three times a day practice at times, and um, but it helped mold me to where I'm at today. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of folks that, that listen to the program uh, are gearing up for uh, our, our college football uh, preview from Chad. We do fantasy football. We do pick'ems. We do all kinds of stuff around uh, college football, pro football. We have a big time. And, and of course, basketball, too, is looming. Uh, and you know, I'm a big UK basketball fan, uh, always have been, always will be, uh, regardless of how much Chad gives me crap about Calipari and, and whether he's performing or not, has he really done a good job for the program or not? I'm not worried about that piece of it. I just like to see uh, the team do well uh, on a regular basis. And, and they seem to do well more than they don't. And so I'm okay with that. 
Um, I do wish that, um, you know, and of course, this started with Kobe Bryant, uh, not just Kobe Bryant, but a lot. You know, it always worried me kids going uh, straight from high school to the NBA or going one and done in college. I do like the rule that you got to, you know, it's prefer preferable that you go to college first before going straight to the NBA. And, um, you know, Kobe Bryant was a total uh, unique individual who was such an athlete and performer and professional that, you know, he was able to do it. And of course, you know, LeBron being just a, a beast on the court uh, and, you know, he catches a lot of flack, but at the end of the day, he's, a, he's a heck of a ball player. And I think for the college fans, people who really love college basketball, what you like to see is kids who stay the four years because they develop, they develop as a team. And, you know, that's the things I miss from, you know, when I was growing up and watching UK in the nineties, when uh, Patino was coaching and uh, you know, my favorite player. Uh, and to, to this day, if I were to jump on a basketball court, if I were to play in a men's league or something, I'd pick the number 15 because of Jeff Shepard, who was my favorite ball player of all time. Uh, and then, of course, then, you know, when Calipari comes along, DeMarcus Cousins has that uh, same number, which, again, love watching him play basketball. So, um, at any rate, I, I, I love the college game. I, I think that, uh, you know, the more – and I'm, I guess I'm old-fashioned, too. The more we can keep it where these kids get the chance to develop, get their education, and, and work as a team and learn that piece of it, I think it makes the pro level – a little better too, but I don't watch pro basketball as much as I used to. I, I just don't, I don't get into it. I don't either. And I mean, you got Dawkins that started the three. I mean, you can name on one hand of those that came out of high school, go to the pros and be able to sustain that and become great players. And, and those are unique, but I agree. Um, there's a learning process at each step of this. And most kids at 18 years old can't go into that environment flying through 112 games and playing basketball or whatever their schedule is and, and keep up with it and, and survive. So it's hard for the seasoned players in many cases. I like you. I mean, I'm a Kentucky fan. I mean, when I was there, you had Robin Phillips leaving and, and I played against Melvin Turpin in high school and he was there in college and Sam Bowie and Dirk Manifield played against him in high school. So... <clears throat> Uh, I was in class when they brought Kenny Walker in on his official visit. So, you know, there's so many big name athletes, but I, I'm, I don't watch as much as I used to because there are so many one and dones and you've got to relearn them and you got to learn their game. And it's, it's difficult. I think they need to be there two or three years at a minimum, but that's, you know, it's not my decision. I got one of the, actually one of the guys that I played with in college football is, I think he's retired now, but he was, uh, worked for the NCAA and we'll talk about it every, every once in a while. Yeah. Well, look, uh, I appreciate you being on the podcast, talking sports with me, talking about economic development, being an elected official and, and discussing what's going on in Eastern Kentucky and how people can help with uh with the floods over there and donations um i think that uh you know as we go forward uh you know we're going to continue to look for opportunities to assist areas especially those we have a connection to uh, i know you know we certainly uh donated into western kentucky when the tornadoes happened there we're working in st louis but you know we try to make sure that we're giving back uh to the communities that you know who are clients or, or that we have 
some connection to personally. And so hopefully uh, those out there who've been asking us how you can do that, you're paying attention to the podcast. Also, if you have any opinions on college basketball or college football, you'd like to talk to me about it, you can email me, Chuck at nextmovegroup.com. Bob, thank you so much again for being on the podcast today. I know you have to get back out there and get back to work, so uh, we'll let you go now. And we'll see you next time on the Next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast.